0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to the very first episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. This is a brand new project that I'm starting. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris. And yeah, I'll do a more formal why I started this podcast and everything like that. But anyways, anyways, my very first guest, my premier guest of this podcast is Stuart Ritchie. He released a book last year called Science Fictions. And it's about all of the bad science that's out there. And I really got interested in this subject after watching an episode of uh last week tonight with John Oliver where he was kind of shining a light on how many studies are out there or like when the news is like citing studies and how many of these are like terrible studies like like one of them you know was like, "Oh hey, uh like farts can cure cancer like some news station was running that story and it's like, what are you doing so uh, I started reading books uh, about this and Stewart's was one of the first ones that I picked up and it really got me interested. And in this conversation that I had with him, I asked him, you know, what can we look for? And why do these things matter? And, you know, we talk about the, the placebo effect and all sorts of interesting things. But what I love about this conversation too is that Stewart has some great, great, great practical solutions uh to all these issues going on in the science community so anyways without further ado let's get started with the very first episode and you got to make me a deal if you enjoy this episode make sure you follow or subscribe whatever platform you're listening on because we'll be releasing new episodes every week so here we go let's meet stewart So, I absolutely loved, loved, loved your new book, Science Fictions, and it really got me interested in the whole subject of how we can't always trust scientific studies. As a skeptic myself, when we look at some of these bad studies, we can see that the placebo effect is clear as day. For example, power poses haven't been proven scientifically. So, here's my question to you If someone feels more confident, or if an alternative medicine doesn't have any side effects and the person feels better, is there harm? Like a person's perception is their reality. So if there's no measurable harm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the placebo effect.
1: Hi, Chris. Thanks very much for having me on the show and for sending me the questions. I'm really glad you liked the book by the way. So here's um, my answer to question one, which was about the placebo effect and if there is measurable harm from an alternative medicine that doesn't have any side effects or a scientific um, study that doesn't really prove what it claims to prove. I would say um, any doctor, any honest doctor will tell you that the placebo effect has a real use, and you know when you talk about a doctors' bedside manner, um, basically what they're doing is they're trying to reassure the patient. They're trying to show the patient that everything's okay and that they will be able to uh, that, 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 they'll, that they'll get better. And they're not giving a, a treatment there or anything. They're they're just simply um, uh, manipulating, and it, it, not in a negative way, but they're manipulating the patient's. Sense of, uh, of 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 comfort or whatever, and making them feel better, and uh, and that they know that that has a uh, a positive effect. Similarly, with things like power posing and and so on, um, uh, sure, uh, I think it's completely fine if people uh, um, want to do a power pose because they personally feel like it makes them more confident before they do some kind of a you know a, a, an interview or something that makes them nervous or whatever. The problem, I think, is that. Um, the power pose and a lot of alternative medicines are not marketed like that. Instead, they're marketed um, as as if they have the backing of science. They're marketed as uh, this is what science shows us is the case. And of course, um, uh, that's not what science shows us, because if you dig into these uh, studies, you find uh, very often that they can't be replicated, that they had poor statistics. Well, we'll go into that in more detail uh, later on. Um, uh, uh, and I think um, uh, it's not necessarily that it's dishonest marketing, um, because some people think that because there is a scientific study that, um, you know, these, these treatments or, or whatever it is must have scientific backing. But, you know, I think one of the main lessons of my book is just because there's a scientific study published in a journal doesn't mean that the thing that it's claiming is actually, is actually true because of all the flaws in the peer review system and 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 so on. So we need to kind of kind of dig into to 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 the scientific papers in more detail. So I think that's the problem is is that it's not necessarily that, uh, that that these things are are not useful in a sort of a self-help sense. You know, if Amy Cuddy had written her book about power posing as if it was just a kind of self-help idea that she'd come up with, um that would be that would be fine. But the problem is it's written up as if, you know, science shows that this is uh,
0: is 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 what will is what will help you. So in your book, you introduced me to the concept of P hacking and now I can't help but notice P scores everywhere. Can you do me a favor and explain what the P score is and how people quote unquote hack it? And like, is there a simple way for us to detect P hacking as we're hearing about studies or even if we're trying to like look them up ourselves?
1: You've noticed that there there are P values everywhere. So the P value is, uh, A common statistical uh, uh, value that uh, scientists use. Um, uh, There's a whole um, world of statistics that kind of underlies it—a whole statistical philosophy. Um, But most people, if they've done any statistics um, uh, for, you know, maybe if they've done a psychology course or or some kind of other um, scientific course that requires statistics, will probably have heard of this. If you read scientific papers, you see it. Um, It's very, very common. Even these days, if you read. Um, press releases, uh, often you see p-values. So for instance, the new uh, COVID drugs and COVID vaccines and so on often report p-values in their press release. So what the p-value, which is short for probability value, what the p-value tells you is in a world where there was no uh, relation between the thing that you're doing and the outcome. So in a, in a in a world where your drug doesn't work, it actually has no effect. How likely would it be that you would get an effect like the one you got so that is to say you know how likely is it that there would be a huge difference between the placebo group and the treatment group if in fact there was no difference uh, uh, the drug didn't have any effect and so you can see that uh, you know if you found results that showed a big difference then the p value would be low because it would be saying in a world where there was no the drug didn't have any effect it would be unlikely that there would be a huge difference between the groups and so that is taken as evidence in favour of the drug working because there's a huge difference between the groups. The p-value is very low. It's not consistent, or it's 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 less consistent um, with a world where just nothing is happening. So it's a bit of a convoluted um, uh, explanation. Of the p-value, but that is where we are at in statistics. There are, there are other ways of doing statistics, but but this is the one that most scientists use. Um, and uh, the problem with that is that the more times you calculate the p value, the p statistic, the more times you actually have a chance of getting a false positive. So not a result that actually is a, a positive result um, uh, uh, that, that, sh- that shows that the um, you know shows evidence against, the idea that there's nothing going on in your in your data, the more times you roll the dice, as it were, with the, with a the p-value, um, the, 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 the more times you, you might get a low p-value when actually there's nothing going on. So you can kind of fool the p-value in that sense. Um, and the problem is that a lot of scientists are doing this a lot. When they uh, run their experiments, they are uh, often testing lots and lots and lots and lots of different hypotheses and calculating lots and lots and lots of different p-values. Um, or... They're making slight changes to the way that they had planned their uh, their analysis, uh, and thus they're kind of they're kind of um, uh, testing the p-values over and over and over again. Um, each time they make a slight change because they don't really have a set plan and they're just kind of letting data lead them. Um, so the, the 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 problem there is that. Um, uh, they're calculating lots and lots of p-values and increasing the chances of a false positive. And so if you only report the uh, p-values, you know, a few of those p-values, a selection of those p-values, it can look a bit misleading, because if you calculate only one p-value and it's really low, then uh, that might be quite convincing. But if you've calculated 50 p-values and one of them's quite low, well, actually, by chance, one of them would probably be quite low anyway. So um, it's much less convincing evidence uh, in favour of whatever it is that you're arguing for. So um, that's the the fundamental problem. uh, And that's been called p-hacking because you can do it deliberately. You can just keep testing things until eventually you find a low p-value. And scientists uh, have generally converged on this idea that a p-value less than 0.05 is what counts as statistically significant. So you can keep testing things until you find a statistically significant p-value, and then you end up um uh, uh, in a world where you've probably got a false positive result, and that's probably what's happened in many of these cases where uh, other scientists came along uh, and failed to replicate the, uh, the, the the findings that had originally been been published in the literature
0: yeah like that's that's what's kind of crazy is that there's so many different studies out there like you mentioned like you know the covid vaccines and things like that but there's so many studies out there and i don't think a lot of us realize that the numbers we're looking at or or the way they test and that's what i loved about your book is that sometimes the the scientists and the people doing this research can actually manipulate that data with something like P hacking, where the results were just were just chance, and it was the luck of the draw, and they decided to, you know, use that for the study. Um, so, so next question: One of your main arguments is that the whole system of scientific research is flawed, and researchers need funding and have to get results just to continue their research, and this can lead to their biases or just different types of poor research practices. So if it were up to you, how would you solve this problem so researchers could be more ethical with their studies while also maintaining their job?
1: Well, I think researchers have to be uh, a lot more transparent. So I think um, journals where, you know, scientific journals, which are publishing people's research, need to be much more, uh, um, uh, uh, need, to, need to force researchers to be much more open and transparent about exactly what they've done. So, for instance, journals could ask researchers to uh, post up a, a, an analysis plan of what they had planned out before they touched any of the, um, of, of of the data. Um, and, you uh, uh, in some cases, they could ask them to post that plan before they even collect any of the data. So, you know, before they go out and run the trial, before they go out and, and collect any of the data that they're, that they're doing, so that they have a clear plan and they can't get into this p-hacking thing where they just kind of meander through the data and let the data kind of lead them, uh, which can often lead to lots and lots of false positive results. So, so my, um, you know, one, one, one thing that I really think would make a big difference is if, if um, uh, journals uh, made researchers uh, plan things out before they said, okay, we'll publish your study. Another thing is is that I think researchers could provide their data a lot more often. They could post their data online. It's really easy to do it now. Uh, instead of you know hoarding their data, keeping it in some kind of secret folder, um, uh, they can make their data open to the world so that we reduce the amount that we have to just take scientists' word for it. Uh, taking people's word for it is is the opposite of science. You know, in the UK we have the the Royal Society, which is the kind of the, the one of the kind of scientific organisations. And uh, the, the motto of the Royal Society is "Nullius in Verba," which is Latin for uh, "Take nobody's word for it." So in science, you're meant to show people. You're not meant to just ask them to take it on faith. You're meant to show people stuff. And so I think that's um, one of the the most important. Uh, aspects of the whole idea of the open science movement that we should have everything out in the open as much as possible. Now, of course, there are some scientific data sets that you don't want to put out in the open. Um, uh, You know, something about how to make a nuclear bomb or uh, how to develop a new coronavirus that's even more um, virulent or um, people's genetic data or something like that. So you don't want to put all that online. Um, But there are ways of making data open for probably the majority of scientific experiments that, uh, uh, that, that that would make the whole process a lot uh, 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 more transparent you know it's it's still possible and it has happened unfortunately but it, but if you have put all your data online it's much less likely that that data is fraudulent right because someone's going to notice if it's online whereas if you keep all the data to yourself well who knows maybe uh, maybe you haven't interpreted it properly maybe you've made the data up uh, and no one no one can tell
0: Yeah, that that totally makes sense. The transparency and knowing what their hypothesis was before they even started the study would kind of help the reader or whoever's, you know, reviewing the research to see if, you know, they were changing their opinion along the way or if any biases might have, you know, come into play or anything like that. So, another great point that you bring up is how there's publication bias. You discuss how positive results get all of the attention but there's not much focus on all of the experiments that failed. And I agree that we should be able to see and go through all of those failed experiments so we can see what we can learn from them. And other scientists can say, oh, you tried this, uh, you know, what didn't work and all that kind of stuff, but that kind of information just isn't out there. So what are the main challenges that prevent people from publishing failed experiments as well as people looking into them? And also, what's some kind of practical solution that someone like you would come up with?
1: The problem with science is it's a bit like the media, right? Um, The media really like exciting, flashy stories that can get lots of people to click on them, that can get lots of people's attention. Um, Science is a similar system. It has uh, a bias towards... Uh, results that people will want to cite in their future studies. Um, And actually, it feeds into the media too, because it has a bias towards results that people want to click as well, that that can get press headlines. Um, And certainly in my own field, this is also the case for for many other fields, but certainly in my own field of psychology, what you end up with is lots of studies that can grab headlines because they're very simple and easy to understand, but they don't actually, um, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of study doesn't necessarily correlate with uh, You know, high quality research, Um, and uh, if we emphasise research that's just has positive, flashy, exciting results, then we're going to miss a lot of um, uh, 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 real research that's maybe uh, more robust but less flashy. So, um, uh, uh, and what's what's what could be less flashy than you know, we tried this experiment and it didn't work. Right? No one wants to hear that. But they should hear it because uh, having failed, null results published in the literature is giving a full picture of what was done, right? The scientific literature shouldn't be... um, uh, Well, think about the historical literature, right? When you read the historical literature... You have to uh, take a lot of things with a grain of salt, right You have to uh, understand that some things were biased, some people were were um were were opposed to the the you know the way of thinking uh, at the time or or certain people or were being paid to think uh different were being paid to write stuff differently, and so on so there are lots of biases in the historical literature, but the scientific literature shouldn't be like that right The scientific literature should be um a record of what scientists have done, and that's whether they've um uh, uh, found uh, uh, something out that's new, or failed. Their experiment didn't find anything. Their experiment just, you know, showed that something didn't work. A new drug didn't work. So the scientific literature should be an unbiased picture of what's happened in the past. But actually, it's the opposite of that. It's 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 very very biased towards positive results um, and so on. And I actually think, um, you know, going back to my previous answer um, about how to uh, how to do better research, I think one of the ways of avoiding publication bias, as well as you know, making people aware of it and so on, one of the one of the, the, the ways of avoiding it is to have researchers register their analysis before they touch any of the data. Uh, and then the journal agrees to publish the study uh, whether or not the results are positive. So however the results go, nobody knows how the results are going to go, but the journal and the reviewers and the scientists all agree that this is a good way of testing the hypothesis before they touch the data. And so if they agree that it's a good way of testing the hypothesis, it should be published, right, no matter whether it's positive or negative. And so you can get these kind of agreements at journals now where um, uh, the journal agrees to publish it no matter which way it goes, and then you go off and collect the data. And I think that is a real uh, uh, key to getting around problems of publication bias.
0: That's a, that's a great point, and it's interesting that you relate it to the media right like we're used to clickbaity titles and i think most of us especially the average person we would like to think that like scientific journals are above that and they're not going to be you know just trying to get you know more views if you will so so yeah that that's really interesting so last question Once I learned about how many studies are actually flawed, it really had me questioning every time the news or a pundit cites some kind of study. So I asked myself like a million questions about the study because I know that so many of them don't meet scientific standards. Personally, I'm a nerd who loves looking up the study and digging into it to see if it's trustworthy, and I'm sure you do too, but it's important that the average person is able to do this as well. Unfortunately, that takes a lot of time and even a lot of curiosity. So in your opinion, what are some simple things that the average person can do when they hear about the latest scientific studies on the news or from quote-unquote experts?
1: Well, I think we've learned an awful lot in the last year uh, during COVID about uh, how to evaluate scientific studies. Um, uh, Unfortunately, during COVID, we've seen a lot of hyped-up Research. We've seen a lot of um, flawed research and biased research, uh, and we might even have seen some fraudulent research as well. It's uh, it's kind of unclear at this point whether some research is just really f- sloppy or actually or actually fraudulent. Um, so uh, uh, you know, it really shows the importance of being sceptical and being really um, being really uh, thoughtful about research rather than just taking things on faith. Again, going back to that whole thing about. Taking nobody's word for it, um, uh, and that's what science really should be about. So you know, if you've got access to the study itself, if you go back to the original data and you have the time and you really want to dig into the details, you can look for things like you know, was this a a, a proper controlled trial? If it's, say it's of a new drug, you know, was this a was this a controlled trial or are they? Just, is it just some observational study? Because in an observational study, it can be really interesting, um, but it can't prove causality it can it's not an experiment where the scientists have changed something in a in a randomized way so it can't prove that the drug caused something it can just show that the drug is correlated with something so you see you know again just to use the example of covid you've seen some observational studies uh, of 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 things like for instance vitamin d and and covid um uh um but in the randomized controlled trials uh, so you know those 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 studies found that maybe people who did did better in terms of COVID had higher levels of vitamin D in their system. But when it comes to randomised controlled trials, uh, where where people have been randomised to get a vitamin D supplement or or uh, or, or a placebo, um, the evidence is is much more patchy. And in fact, I would say um, uh, leans towards there not being an effect of vitamin D on on, on COVID. And um, so you know that's one thing you can look for: is it a randomised controlled trial? how big is it is this just a small number of people or is it a is it a, is, is is it a bigger deal um, obviously that's for science that you know uses uh, people as its, as its participants um, uh, is it published in a reputable journal by people at a reputable university now that's not a that's not a a, a dead cert because you know one of the main things i'm arguing in this book is that Even people at good universities and even good journals publish uh, uh, bad research an awful lot. But um, there are uh, a lot of journals out there that are quite dodgy looking. Um, They're kind of predatory journals that will just publish any old thing without even attempting to peer review it. And so um, that's a red flag. If you see something published in one of those journals, it probably isn't very high quality. Um, uh, uh, And you can often tell from just looking at the journal's website, whether it's a professional professional, Publication, or whether it's it's just kind of some kind of scam uh, uh, journal, um, and then you can dig into the the the, the research. You can look for uh, p hacking. Um, you know, I, I didn't mention this um, uh, uh, kind of um, you know when I was talking about p hacking, a way to detect p hacking. Well, you know how I mentioned this um, this uh, uh, threshold of zero point zero five being the, the 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 threshold of the p value that scientists um, want to be lower than to get their result to be statistically significant. Well, it's often a red flag if all of the p-values in a paper are just or are just underneath the p equals 0.05 threshold. And that implies that maybe a little bit of p-hacking has gone on to get those numbers just under the threshold. Um, uh, and there are some more complex statistical ways of detecting that, but you do often read a paper and find the p-values are all quite borderline and are all quite kind of... Un, just under where they would um, where they would need to be, um, but I think another thing that someone can do if if they if they don't have the paper and they don't have the time uh, to to dig into the paper itself is simply look at what other scientists are saying. So I think it's really useful to look at the discussion of a new scientific paper on websites like PubPeer. For instance, PubPeer is a website that um, allows people to comment on articles, uh, post. Uh, uh, publication peer review. So um, peer review normally is done before the publication, but if it was done after the publication, post-publication peer review, um, you you could maybe notice things that the original reviewers didn't see. So um, uh, you can look on websites like that, even looking on websites like Twitter um, to see what other scientists are saying. You know, you can put the URL of a paper into Twitter or just look up the, 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 the study and see what people are saying. And, you know, again, throughout COVID, we've seen people do sort of threads... Looking into papers, kind of debunking them and so on. Now the problem is that on Twitter there's no kind of um, quality filter, and you will see people who are uh, uh, attacking a study from a position of ignorance or a position of ideological bias as well. So you have to be a, a skeptical consumer of the research. You know when when you're looking at what people are saying about it on on, on Twitter still, but it's um, but it's uh, another way of just seeing what the general scientific reception of a paper is. You know beyond the people who have beyond the people who have, uh, have reviewed it reviewed this this uh, this paper which you know reports the study um you can see what the you know what what's what the general scientific discussion is um and of course since science is all about scientists debating each other and discussing things and trying to put their best ideas um uh, trying to test them to destruction then um that is a really important way of uh, of of assessing scientific information so i'd say you know look at the paper if you can but um, there are a lot of other people who will have looked at the paper probably, especially if it's about something important and the headlines like COVID. Um, and you can often, um, if you do enough digging, you can find their discussion on the internet. So I would seek that out and, uh, and, and see if you can uh, uh, um, learn anything from it.
0: All right, a huge, huge, huge thank you uh, to Stuart for, for taking the time To come on the podcast and make sure, make sure that you check out the description and I have linked Stewart's uh, Twitter as well as a link to his book. Like I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I binged this book in probably a day or two. I loved it so much. Like if you found anything interesting from this conversation, like go check out the book. I I know I'm definitely going to be reading it again because this was one of the first books I read where I was like, yeah, yeah, I need to, I need to like look at stuff and kind of like Stuart was saying towards the end there, like see what other people are saying about this. I know that our, our confirmation bias is so strong So one of the main things I do, I'll leave you all with this. One of the main things I do is I go look for people who have the best arguments against whatever I'm looking at, right? Especially, especially if I agree with it, I'm like, okay. Give me the best argument against it. But anyways, anyways, everybody, I hope, I hope, I hope you enjoyed this very first episode of the Rewired Soul podcast. This is weekly. I have a bunch, a bunch of cool, awesome, amazing authors lined up. It is madness, so make sure you stay tuned. We're covering all sorts of different topics. So if you wanna make sure that you don't miss any of the episodes, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at the rewired soul all right and i will be posting everything up there and news and updates i'm still working on a couple other projects and all that kind of stuff but anyways i've had you here long enough i hope you have an amazing day and again make sure you go follow stewart and check out his book and i'll see y'all next time